0: Warning, the profanity doesn't even make the top ten of the most offensive things about this podcast.
1: This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by the new on-demand car service for Gentiles that need the assistance of a good Jewish man on short notice. Ubermensch Delivery. Are the costs of owning an entire Jewish man getting way too crazy? Wondering if there's a way just to have him when you need him, like for taxes and diamond appraisals, but then he goes away? Well, look no further. Ubermensch Delivery. What can brown shirts do for you? And now, the Skating Atheist. Hi, this is DP from the Golden Age of Grappling podcast, and although religion doesn't really come up a whole lot when talking about old wrestling pay per views, I do have to say this. So what you're gonna do when Heath, Noah, and Lucinda and the rest of the scathing atheist crew run wild on you? Cause it's a fact, Jack. We did, in fact, evolve from filthy monkey men. It's Thursday. It's March 10th, and Hillary Clinton should start consulting with NFL coaches about trap games. Yes, she trap should. I'm um, no illusions. I'm Heath Enright, and from Trump loves a Winnersville, Valdosta, Georgia. This is the Scathing Atheist.
2: On this week's episode, Ray Comfort admits that if it weren't for Jesus, he would feast on the flesh of the week. We learn that Japanese ceremonial metal penises are traditionally circumcised, and we find out that the 17th century version of the Flying Nun was way less fuckable. But first,
1: The Diatribe.
2: You know, I I love me some Stephen Jay Gould and all, but the idea that we're going to solve the conflicts between religion and science the way that two hostile roommates in an 80s sitcom would divide up the apartment is, at the very least... A bit naive. And yet for decades, we've labored under the weight of this nonsensical concept of Noma, or non-overlapping magisteria. Now, even if you're not familiar with the terminology, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept, right? Science has its realm over here that deals with the material world, and religion has its realm over here that deals with the spiritual world, and never the twain shall meet. So no need for conflict. Now, If all you're hoping to do with this thing is pat some Christians on the head and make them feel like the kids table is way more awesome than the grown up table, maybe there's some value to this. I mean, after all, in a sense, it's true, right? I mean, science and religion explore non overlapping magisteria in the same way that science and Harry Potter fan fiction do. Right, One deals with stuff that happens in the real world and the other is purely imaginary. And if a bunch of Harry Potter fan fiction writers started asserting that Hogwarts was a real place and flu powder was a legitimate means of locomotion, we would have to smack them down with a Noma-like argument. But in order for it to be effective, we have to point out that the reason the two magisteria never overlap is because one of them is complete bullshit. And of course, in the Gouldian Compromise, we're trying to avoid pointing that out, which renders it worse than useless. That makes it a liability. It legitimizes their magisteria. Now, of course, I'm hardly the first atheist to take issue with this argument. It's been pointed out plenty that if it was true, Gould never would have had to propose it. You know, after all, we don't waste our time developing vaccines for cooties or the Mondays. Gould was responding to conflicts that were clearly visible between these two fields and politely asking religion to go back to their department so that science could worry about all the biology and shit. And as I'm sure you noticed, they didn't. Now, others have pointed out, of course, that at best, religion treats this like it's a one-way street. They love to invoke their safe space whenever science challenges one of their sacred beliefs, but not so much when it's time to research stem cells or teach kids about evolution. So the extent to which theology will accept this concept is always going to line up exactly with the extent to which science is willing to voluntarily hamstring itself. Still worse is the fact that the very methods that theology use are still subject to scientific inquiry. I I mean, if you're looking for answers in the Bible and archaeologists prove that camels weren't domesticated until long after domesticated camels show up in the Bible, science just took a huge steaming shit right in the middle of your magisterium. If your discipline relies on attributing certain ecstatic mental states to a divine source and then science recreates those same mental states using electromagnetism, science just whittled down your magisterium a little more, didn't it? And if one discipline can reduce the scope of the other, you can't honestly argue that the two don't overlap, can you? But perhaps most damning of all, the concept contradicts the very nature of science. You know, unless you reduce religious claims to deism, the two magisteria must overlap. If God answers prayers, that can be tested by science. If God has a son, that can be tested by science. If the cracker turns into divine dead guy, that can be tested by science. There is no way to have a consequential God without consequences. And science can test the consequences. And when you think about it, all of these objections are really just subheadings to the primary issue with NOMA, which is the fact that it grants religion a magisteria in the first place. In practice, what we're saying is, when careful observation, peer review, meticulous testing, and data-driven analysis fails, it's time to turn to the men in chess piece costumes that interrogate all of their information out of a magical ghost Jew. I mean, do we want to leave any questions in the hand of a discipline that has no methodology? And if we're going to, would we want to do it with vitally important shit like ethics? I mean, look, I'll freely admit that there are plenty of questions that science can't answer now and never will, but that's because those questions don't have answers. They're not good questions, but that's not where theology's its flag. Instead, they go to the very threshold of human understanding, imagine their way four steps further, and stake their claim on that. Why is there something instead of nothing? How did the first living thing come into being? What happened before the bang? And sure, science can't answer any of those questions now, but if you think science can never answer those questions, I'd invite you to revisit the perpetually receding list of historical shit that scientists were sure that science would never figure out in the past. It could very well be that some future Einstein will figure out a way to definitively prove that time began with the Big Bang, and any theological claims about what happened before that are going to be wiped away with a single equation. I mean, look, the more we learn, the more clear it becomes that science may one day find a true cure for mortality. And if and when they do, I certainly hope that nobody in the scientific realm decides that they should shelf that cure since immortality isn't really in their magisteria. See, ultimately, that's the biggest problem with the Noma olive branch. It's disingenuous. Even if religion accepted it, the end result would be science herding them into ever smaller reservations as their previously unanswerable questions fell victim to the relentless crusade of curiosity. We would constantly be at their borders, ask them to move back a couple hundred more paces while we filled in the latest unknown nugget that they had elected to cling to. Because despite Gould's conciliatory language, the real difference between the questions that science asks and the questions that theology asks is that the former get answered. And if we allow the light of science to shine bright enough, there will be nowhere left for god to hide
1: they're talking about your jesus I interrupt this broadcast bring you a
2: special news bulletin joining me for headlines tonight is my youthful tender-footed budding burgeoning whippersnapper of a co-host <laughs> heath Enright. heath are you ready to get
1: off my lawn <laughs> come on man don't be so hard on yourself old timer it's 40 it's the new 39 and a half it yeah might right. as well be six months M- ago my dick still works
2: oh by the way oh I didn't ask, I know I know I just i yeah, i wanted to, I wanted to volunteer that
1: all right it's like a all fucking right. like a
2: noise maker <laughs> on New Year's Eve, just straight up, fully <laughs> functional penis of mine, it's yeah.
1: Uh, congratulations, you're still using it annually. That's, yeah, that's good. Thank you.
2: In our Story Tonight, according to a new book by Appalachian State criminology professor Elica Peterson Sparks, the fact that America leads the industrial world in both fundamentalist Christians and violent crime might not be a coincidence. Really? In her new book, The Devil You Know, The Surprising Link Between Conservative Christianity and Crime, she argues that Christianity's <laughs> emphasis on vengeance, promises of immortality, and core belief in humanity's sinful nature makes it criminogenic, particularly in terms of violent crime in other words the fact that extreme religiosity is so grossly overrepresented in american prisons might not
1: just be correlational after all right right but but in fairness to the christians though uh nobody else has a source of absolute immorality oh, I, right. atheist criminals are just kind of you know <laughs> like guessing what bad things to do so it's, not really fair. It's,
2: it's funny how the debaters never go that direction with huh. it Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I should note that I haven't read the book, and what I was able to find in the media didn't really dive into any of the numbers, so I'm not exactly sure how rigorous the research that supports these findings are. But the theory that people who venerate a god who repeatedly condones violent retribution will thus have a favorable view of violent retribution doesn't exactly strain (laughs) credulity. And to all the Christians that might instinctively argue that their religion is all about forgiveness, I'd simply point to the fact that Ted Cruz is courting the evangelical
1: vote by promising to turn ISIS into live-action x-rays of themselves. <laughs> yeah. I'd also point out that if forgiveness is a big priority over genocide, the uh Bible should have talked a little bit more about forgiveness and a little bit less about genocide. You think? Like even yeah. just one extra sentence at the end. Like, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Uh, P.S. Forgiveness outranks genocide. <laughs> that's, that's all. That's all it takes.
2: All we would need. Yeah, exactly. That'd make the book a hell of a lot more moral. In summary, though I should know that this is my summary rather than the author's, America sucks precisely to the extent
1: that it is Christian. <laughs> Science, <laughs> it's bitches. not helping. And in government overreach-around news tonight, despite all the wonderful progress we've made as a country with legislation like Rifra the state of Arizona seems determined to undermine religious liberty and prosecute people who were merely acting on their sincerely held beliefs. Those bastards. Most recently, this came in the form of a guilty verdict last week for Tracy Elise of the Phoenix Goddess Temple, who now faces jail time for operating a prostitution business simply because people were paying to have orgasms in her sex church. And it's wrong. It's wrong. When Moses founded the United States, he did not intend... For priestess hookers to be told what they can and can't do by a big bloated government, but that's what we got. Yeah, man, you
2: know they 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 fucked my temple of opium, exorbitant short-term interest rates, and unregulated nuclear waste disposal church with the same <laughs> bullshit. What we need are some armed patriots brave enough to yell about gummy dicks in an off-season birding pavilion. Without that, what, this country's is it?
1: fucked. Uh, maybe maybe we, there's more. Hope. We need more <laughs> of those type of patriots. So uh, yeah, just to be clear. This lady was absolutely running a prostitution facility, like, full-blown whorehouse, without question. They just happened to have a mystical goddess theme, and they organized the payments to be suggested donations rather than, you know, here's your fuck money. So it's kind of like a typical Catholic church, (laughs) except the sex is for adults only, and it's consensual. Yeah, well, big difference. And uh, instead of tithing every week, you pay a la carte. So it's a little more efficient that way. Oh, and it's illegal. The adult (laughs) consensual pro-business one that provides an actual tangible service, that one is illegal. Right. Unle- That's the other un- difference. Un- un-
2: unless you film it.
1: <laughs> Remember that, Raul, as long as we keep filming it, you're earning your way through law school legally and with dignity. <laughs> well, legally. You're legally. right? <laughs> for sure. So in all seriousness, though, religion should have nothing to do with it either way. Uh, but laws against prostitution are stupid. Yes. If you're allowed to have sex and you're allowed to give people money, uh, <laughs> then you're allowed to be both in the same room if you feel like it. Mean, would think. How long do you have to wait after the orgasm before you can conduct different types of transactions? What if you don't? Co- it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> unenforceable. So I might have sounded sarcastic earlier, but the libertarian stance on this one is absolutely right. And it seems like. More conservative Christians should be up in arms about this big RIFRA violation. Yeah. I haven't heard of Funny
2: that they're not. Yeah. And in exploit-us, interrupt this news tonight, a teacher at Paul Lawrence Dunbar Middle School in Lynchburg, Virginia, came under fire last week for leading students away from a Black History Month assembly. According to a letter sent home to parents, he, quote, interrupted the program by going to the microphone to express his offense with this portion of the program and offered the students an opportunity to leave the auditorium with him, end quote. Now, this has led to charges of racism and calls for his termination, primarily because the letter doesn't mention that the part of the program he was objecting to was the part where they started singing about how awesome
1: Jesus was in a public fucking school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like saying he was interrupting a lesson about the Holocaust uh, without mentioning that it was really just the part when the Jewish historian guy broke into song and started doing springtime for Hitler in front of a middle school. <laughs> like that except way way worse actually well i don't know about way way but way definitely (laughs) yeah
2: so according to a number of students that were present at the assembly the liberty university praise group who nobody disputes was putting on this performance started singing christian music in clear violation of church state separation recognizing that fact teacher jason tyree took to the stage and tried to save the school a lawsuit by offering the non-christian students an alternative to the mandatory brainwashing of course the savings from that litigation should be dwarfed by the cost of the lawsuit if they actually Actually fire the dude, which is what everybody seems to be calling for, including former Lynchburg mayor
1: Carl Hutcherson Jr. Yeah, uh, it seems like there's no way this was a racist thing. No, I mean, even if the guy was racist, uh, we're supposed to believe his master racist plan was to interrupt one assembly about black history. <laughs> right. Also, um, unrelated side note former mayor Hutcherson looks like Della Reese just finished eating Al Sharpen exactly <laughs> like she just finished doing that. Well, I, I was going to go with Charlie Rangel three days after swallowing a donut factory, but yeah, pretty much okay. the same. <laughs> and in crazy religious people with assault rifles news tonight, uh, this next story is not about last week's Donald Trump rally in Valdosta, Georgia, huh. believe it or not. Speaking yeah. Speaking of racism, it's actually a little bit of good news instead. According to recent reports out of Nigeria, The Boko Haram terrorist group is running out of food, which is great by itself already. But the reason is the best part. The terrorists are running out of food because they scared away or killed all the farmers and also didn't start farming anything. That's how they get you. And yeah, since everyone dies when you do that, this (laughs) may cause their operation to start dismantling. Huh? It's like Hitler trying to find a good agent. You know, I mean, genocide comes back to bite you in the ass. It always does. Yeah, so apparently the Nigerian military is already seeing groups of, like, malnourished terrorist soldiers surrendering all at once. And they expect this to keep happening, which has to be a lot of fun for these authorities. You're right. Watching your stupid little kid come back after running away with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in their pocket 45 (laughs) minutes later. Except, Except it wasn't 45 minutes. It was like a whole campaign of terror for a whole bunch of years, yeah, right. and your kid, yeah, again, is a terrorist soldier. Right. And you execute him for treason. Fun, right. fun like that <laughs> for them, right. is what
2: I mean. That would be by far the best excuse I'd ever have had for executing a kid,
1: and the most fun, <laughs> and the most fun. Yeah, so one other detail worth mentioning. Um, even if the no more food thing hadn't become a problem, it looks like Boko Haram was already having issues with running out of people to murder as well. Oh, that's a bitch. Yeah. Apparently, like, suicide bombers were just showing up at public markets, and nobody was there, except for a few other suicide bombers, <laughs> and having these <laughs> awkward moments. Are you? Gonna, are you I, I, would, so should we just shit. hang out, or what do you want to do? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't think they thought this all the way through. Um, now they're starting to realize that killing everyone kind of takes the wind out of those terrorism sails. Yeah. Fun while it lasts, but all of a sudden, you're just a bunch of dudes in outer Nigeria with nothing to do and no food. I mean, I'd suggest a book like uh, Western Farming for Dummies, but they hate that stuff. Yeah, so
2: right, right. Electrolytes, guys. It's what plants crave. <laughs> just start there. And in comfort food news tonight, amateur banana apologist and first runner-up in the New Zealand Bob Vila Lookalike Championships, Ray Comfort took to the interwebs <laughs> this week to remind his flock that atheists are all just cannibals in waiting. That's fair. Seriously. In a post about how awesome Christians are compared to non-Christians, something of a running theme on the website, actually, uh, Comfort poses the following dilemma. Quote, if you find yourself in a lifeboat with no food and a group of very hungry people who are checking you out for lunch, who would you rather be sharing the lifeboat with? A group of starving evolutionists who believe in survival of the fittest and have no moral absolutes, or a group of Christians who
1: love their neighbor as themselves and fear God? end quote okay, well, i don't think Ray Comfort thought this one all the way through because the real question is why is one christian dude going on a darwinist cruise ship that's that's, that's <laughs> weird that makes no sense the fuck were you doing in the galapagos dude and and while and
2: i'm somewhat comforted by the knowledge that christians are going to let me eat them if i ever find myself on a light boat with them even that silver lining was somewhat dampened by a possibly even more offensive portion of the post where comfort wondered why he never sees atheists helping the homeless or feeding the poor In fact, he claims in the piece that he Googled atheists feed the poor and atheists helping the homeless and got zero search results. So, okay. (laughs) You can't. Well, right, right. There is absolutely no combination (laughs) of characters that returns zero search results. You you can get an MP3 of one hand clapping. So several, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. And secondly, as Hemet Meadow points out on his friendly atheist blog, Atheists Helping the Homeless is literally the name of a group. It's called Atheists <laughs> Helping the Homeless. They're one of the 169,000 results I got in
1: .045 seconds or whatever when I typed that phrase into secular Google. Yeah, actually, you know what? I mean, I bet I know what the problem is here. I, I worked in IT for a little bit. Okay. I think he needs to unplug the router for 10 seconds and then plug it back in. <laughs> And he'll be all set.
2: I honestly, with Ray Comfort, I'd rather he just takes the first half of that advice. Um, <laughs> right. But even if you set aside the claim that atheists have no moral absolutes, aren't charitable, don't exist on Google and eat people, I would still be offended by this blog post. Because if there's one thing that riles me up more than being accused of opportunistic cannibalism, it's lack of internal consistency. <laughs> and either we're eating the Christians on the lifeboat or we're not feeding the hungry. You can't have it both ways, bro. Draw you the diagram. Right, exactly. Non-overlapping magisteria. So while I try to calm my rumbling tummy down from the thought of a delicious strip of dehydrated people bacon, we'll take a quick break from oh, the headlines oh, oh, oh. and hand things over to my lovely wife, Lucinda.
1: A man wrote the Bible? A whore is
2: what she was. If it's a legitimate rape. It makes you a slut, right? It, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man.
0: This Week in Misogyny get emails from time to time accusing me of shying away from the story or that topic or such and such controversy. Some people say I focus too much on the big shit overseas and others say I focus too much on the little shit nearby. And I take all those criticisms to heart because my goal is to present as broad a swath as I can in a couple of minutes a week. I try to hit stories from all over the world and I try to highlight both the extremes of misogyny and the more familiar examples we see every day. Because the truth is, if we want to truly combat sexism, we have to focus on it in all its forms. And the relatively small abuses lead directly to the big ones. That's why I picked three stories this week that I think perfectly illustrate three stages of misogyny, each caused by the former. Paternalism, dehumanization, and violence. We'll start this week with a demeaning excerpt that Christianity Today is feverishly apologizing for. Last week, they ran a job listing in which a proud father attempted to pawn off his daughter's mint condition still in the original package vagina for the low, low price of putting up with the kind of asshole father-in-law that would do something like that. According to the ad, a Chicago-area church elder was looking for a husband for his daughter who he described as, quote, godly, gorgeous, athletic, educated, careered, humorous, traveled, bilingual, 26-year-old virgin, end quote. Now, set aside the false premise that godly is something to brag about, but the notion that a woman's virginity is a selling point is almost as offensive as the overall idea of selling humans. And of course, as soon as you start thinking of women as property, you wind up with dehumanizing shit like the story that astute listener Alan sent me from com. Sure, we've talked about these assholes before, what would their propensity for spousal rape apologetics. So I guess by their standards, this piece about women learning their place is pretty tame. I'm not going to bother going into the details of how they suggest women learn their place because it's not stupid in a particularly funny way. But the gist of the article is obey the nearest voice that's attached to a set of testicles. Also vacuum a lot and suckle a litter of babies. And if you must talk, do it quietly. And I like to think that he added that last one because his wife was screaming at him for being such an asshole while he was writing this. And of course, once any group of people is thoroughly dehumanized, violence is inevitable. Dehumanization serves to shut down a person's empathic impulse. And if your culture reinforces that shit long enough, you wind up with Pakistan. And admit it, as soon as I told you we were ending on violence, you were assuming we'd end up in Pakistan or Saudi Arabia, weren't you? Well, two points, I guess. So this particularly terrible story comes at the end of a long, noble, and presently fruitless effort to put at least the barest legal protections on the books for Pakistani women. The Women's Protection Act is a long-overdue bill that would provide protection for women suffering from domestic abuse and sexual violence. Among other things, it would set up a toll-free abuse hotline and provide funding for the establishment of women's shelters throughout the nation's largest province. Now, the good news is that the law passed. The bad news is that that doesn't fucking matter because a few days later, the religious zealots that actually run the country called it un-Islamic, which means it almost certainly won't go into effect. And to be fair to the Islamic clerics here, from what I've read of the Quran so far, they're right. Protecting battered women is definitely un-Islamic, but that would prompt a sane country to ditch the religion, not the law. So yeah, fresh off vacation, and I'm going to lay that depressing shit on your lap. And as much as I'd love to finish this off with a positive twist that puts a silver lining on it all, the best I can come up with this week is at least I passed on both the rape stories I considered. And with that paltry excuse for good news, I'll hand things back over to Noah and Heath.
2: Thank you, Lucinda. And in Rising from the Ashes news tonight, we have a quick update on the suddenly re-ongoing tale of Phoenix City Council v. Satan Roaring Lion of the, <laughs> the Abyss. Now, if you recall, we thought we wrapped up this story in early February, when the Phoenix City Council voted to replace their religious invocations with a moment of silence, which came, of course, in response to the looming threat of the satanic temple doing a devil invocation and the inevitable brimstone and street sodomy that that would lead to. And while we thought this was the end of the story, apparently the Phoenix City Council figured four whole weeks was plenty of time for all of us secularists to forget about them, because last week they voted 7-2 to reinstate the religious invocation, but this time only city (laughs)
1: chaplains are allowed to do it. Well, hold on. I thought they were going to allow the satanic invocation but also build a force field with did, prayer did, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. did they scrap the force field it was like halfway built i mean right. that's crazy it seems like a good infrastructure project either way <laughs> Weird. why would you not want Just the force? yeah right building it anyway. now to be clear
2: they went from quasi legal to definitely very, very illegal here. The, the, the new ordinance would restrict invocations to chaplains from the police and fire departments, which would effectively restrict it to Christians, which was the problem in the, the first place. Illegal? Right. Of course, according to city attorney Brad Holm, the new language is perfectly constitutional, so, quote, the oh. probabilities are that it would be upheld by a court, end quote. <laughs> now, according to all the attorneys that aren't Brad Holm, bull fucking shit, dude, the whole Greece versus Galloway thing is an overreach to begin with. But you definitely have to let all the religions play. Not even Scalia would have granted you this
1: kind of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And in getting away with martyr news tonight, more than a hundred thousand people showed up at a funeral in Pakistan last week to honor uh, the country's favorite homicidal maniac. There's I, I a lot can't of competition think of I to describe think. this guy. Uh, his name was Malik Mumtaz Hussain Qadri. And he received the death penalty last month after being convicted of murder for his role in shooting a guy 25 times with a submachine gun. That's murder. But since the guy he shot was a provincial governor named Salman Tassir, who was against executing people for blasphemy because of that. Mr. Qadri became a fucking hero for way too many people, which, by the way, I'm defining as one or more. people. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And quick, before we get any motivated
2: equivocists trying to use something the Christians did in 1438 to make it seem like everybody's just as bad. I want to offer a quote from a lawyer who spoke at Qadri's palooza. quote, Islam is a religion of peace and harmony. But it does not allow anybody <laughs> to use wrong words against the prophet. End quote. But so, what? yeah, right. Sorry, brother. It's one or the other. Those are contradictory clauses. Right. Either you're peaceful, or you murder people because of phonemes. <laughs> Those two can't both coexist. Again, we'll draw. You, well, draw we you a draw the thing. It's yeah, like exactly. Boobs, but they're
1: <laughs> so. Here's what happened. Um, Mr. Cadre managed to get a job as the bodyguard for this governor, uh, despite being a lunatic who was arguably the worst bodyguard ever. Yeah, and right. we know this because he then proceeded to murder the guy. <laughs> and the he opposite. did it because Tasir opposed blasphemy laws and specifically suggested that the government of Pakistan should not execute a woman named Azia Bibi, the Christian lady currently on death row for allegedly insulting Muhammad during a water cooler argument at work. Uh, and by sake. the way, there's been a $10,000 bounty on this lady's head since 2010. She's been on uh, death row this a, t- Apparently, <laughs> a Muslim cleric wants somebody to sneak into death row and kill her before, like, the state gets all the God points for her. Oh, it or- I see. <laughs> anyway, uh point being, what the fuck are you guys doing over there? What... Are- musliming
2: they're musliming (laughs) because because here's your chain of events right lady stubs or toe. oh god damn it kill her maybe we shouldn't kill her guys kill him blam (laughs) blam and they're fighting to keep
1: it that way so a uh a few quick notes for for pakistan if you guys are listening um first of all uh you're not supposed to have bounties no not supposed Uh to have those also, uh, not supposed to hang people for words. Mm-mm. And, uh, you're not supposed to have big blowout parties to celebrate assassins. <laughs> uh, at this point, honestly, uh, Pakistan shouldn't be allowed to... Actually, that's the end of my thought. Uh, <laughs> Pakistan shouldn't be allowed. Right.
2: No shit. And in drivel, disobedience news tonight, the Chino Valley School Board voted to continue actively not getting it this week after a judge ordered them to stop turning their school board meetings into bi-weekly tent revivals. After the unambiguous February ruling demanded the school board put an immediate stop to their blatantly illegal Christian prayer services, the board decided to vote on whether or not to abide by the ruling. <laughs> that because matter. that's how they think democracy Works apparently. And of course, they voted to continue to risk tens of thousands of dollars of taxpayer money fucking publicly sucking Jesus' dick on the public dime.
1: Uh, Yeah, even though they could continue doing the exact same thing they're doing right now just after the meeting. Right. Like, yes. All the Christian people that want to could hang out afterward and hope for stuff real hard together. Whatever the (laughs) fuck they do, talk about Jesus. I don't know. But apparently, it's no fun unless they waste everyone's time. Right. Because these people are toddlers. Yeah, well,
2: I mean, why not just go to the goddamn megachurch a mile and a half away when you're done? So <laughs> anyway, the, the toddler in chief on all of this is, uh, one Andrew Cruz, who currently serves as the board's president. And if you want a good reason to hate this guy going in, last July he made headlines after interrupting a school board meeting to bitch about gay marriage and warn everybody about the dangers of mandatory vaccination. <laughs> So according to the complaint from the FFRF and the judge who already ruled on this shit, Cruz also has a habit of breaking into explicitly Christian prayers, reading from the Bible, and inviting the pastor from his megachurch to open every meeting.
1: (laughs) That guy would pull classes out of a Black History Month thing. That guy would do Okay. uh, I I think, uh, it's finally time, by the way, to, uh, pull the trigger on the anti vaxxer, uh, quarantine town we were talking about. It's been a good idea for a They all moved to Chino Valley. Chino Valley's perfect. Now we got a place for it. (laughs) Yeah, and they get their little, uh, outbreak village. Yeah. As, long as nobody runs, we don't nuke it. It's right. all good. Or they could all wear a little collar, like in the Running Man.
2: Exactly. <laughs> now, among the groups expressing outrage at the board's decision were local parents who would much rather their tax money be spent educating their children rather than reimbursing the FFRF's legal fees. Even before electing to appeal this latest ruling, the school district is already on the hook for almost two hundred thousand dollars in legal fees, an amount likely to more than double on appeal. It's also worth noting that unlike city councils, even nonsectarian prayers are illegal at a school board meeting, and these prayers aren't even pretending to be non-sectarian. So the only way they can win is if Ted Cruz wins in the general, murders at least f- four Supreme Court justices, gets a <laughs> filibuster-proof majority in the Senate, and all of that happens before the appeals process runs its course. <laughs> fucking idiots. God, Jesus, that's a ton of money to just piss away because you love Jesus
1: so damn much. If it only it was their fucking money. Public schools have plenty of money. Oh.
2: Of <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: Moving on, in Amish Wolverine news tonight, drawing upon his expertise as Kentucky's number one partial yacht builder, Answers in Genesis CEO Ken Ham announced a brand new simile that he came up with last week. Oh, that's... And who doesn't enjoy a good simile or metaphor? So, uh... Nobody here. After spending several hours in front of a snowmaker while wearing an opera mask, he fired up his <laughs> Facebook page and posted the, uh... Sweet new apt comparison he came up with. According to Ken Ham, teaching evolution in science class is like intellectual child abuse. Oh. Yeah. It's it's just like regular child abuse, except it's uh Kind of thinkier Right, yeah. right yeah. Otherwise it's pretty much the same thing Yeah, like hitting your kid
2: with Tolstoy Instead of James Patterson I get it I get it. <laughs> it's like, just like, like that Like if Adrian Peterson <laughs> had used a slide rule That would have been intellectual child abuse <laughs> Allegedly, but it would have
1: been intellectual child abuse Yes. Yeah, so my, uh, my first reaction to this was Oh, you know, he's he's just confused Because it's the opposite it, He's He's switched, you know Teaching mm. creationism as legitimate science would be Intellectually abusive Right But uh, as it turns out um, Pretty much Nobody had even Considered this Turns out that Creationism Is uh, Rubber And evolution is glue <laughs> Oh so, so Whatever Atheists say That Bounces off The Rubber, it reverses it. Yes, it reverses. exactly. Right, yeah. right So no, science I, is bad creationism now. I yeah. see. No, I you're allowed see. to switch all the stuff now. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, but it, it, sound, it sounded crazy to me too. So I thought about it a little bit more. Thought about it a little more. And I mean, when you throw glue at rubber, there, there's no way that's bouncing off the rubber and flying right back at <laughs> right, you. That's right. It. I mean, yeah. unless you throw a whole container of glue, but that's silly. <laughs> like uh, It's ridiculous. It wouldn't stick to you at that point anyway well, right, no, it's it just no, bounce off of you the whole, the whole you. thing unravels
2: well it always confused me anyway because if one of us is rubber and the other is glue and I'm still able to tell you to, to fuck off we should really set aside our petty differences and team up to fight crime together or something you know <laughs> get a blue monkey for comic relief this is something that has
1: to happen now yeah so uh, just to review first of all the evangelical Christian guy decided to bring up child abuse huh? which was a a bold new tack. I don't know so if it's gonna work. That got my attention. <laughs> and then he did the opposite day thing, which was a great move. That was- It makes all perfect. of their yeah, arguments. exactly what you wanna sense, do. Yeah. But um I felt like he really lost steam, um when he found the unifying thread between child rape and finches with different beaks. So that- <laughs> Classic <laughs> Straight wonder. downhill. From there, And in spectacularly
2: useless shit news tonight, according to a press release that religion news services ran as though it was a story, Israeli entrepreneur Ami Bentov has employed nanotechnology to solve the age-old conundrum of not being able to hide three complete Bibles in a coffee bean. Finally. According to Bentoff, quote, for a long time I felt the need to create something that would help fight the evil and ugliness I witnessed all around me, end quote. So apparently he's put that on hold for a while <laughs> while he misappropriates some finite technological resources to create something impossibly useless and stupid, namely the Jerusalem <laughs> Nano Bible. <laughs>
1: he's like he's like the worst Steve Jobs ever. No shit. What if you could fit a thousand psalms in your pocket? <laughs> Nobody cares. Now,
2: of course, theologists admit the existence of this five by five millimeter Bible will wreak havoc with all their previous calculations about how many angels can get gang raped on the head of a (laughs) pin. But beyond that, even the inventor admits that his nano Bibles have no practical use unless you're evangelizing to Ant-Man. Instead, (laughs) he intends to sell them embedded in jewelry and accessories for the affluent evangelist who recognizes that the best Bible is one that's impossible (laughs) to read.
1: I'm picturing this rabbi like out in the woods. He's cutting his arm open like Jason Bourne, pulling out a Bible right. and a magnifying glass. <laughs> perfect. All right. I'm usually picturing that. Just,
2: if you just get me on an average day when I'm awake, that's probably what I'll be picturing. Now, Jerusalem Nano Bibles currently offer an Old Testament written in the original Hebrew and a New Testament in Greek, though an English version is under development. Because if you're going <laughs> to buy a Bible with letters one-tenth the size of a red blood cell, it damn well better be in a language you can read when you bust out your electron tunneling microscope which begs the question of why these guys would bother printing anything on that little silicon chip in the first place how would you know
1: like pardon me but this one seems to be short a few epistles sir double checked (laughs) and finally tonight from the donald trump shintoist penis monument file (laughs) it uh seems events have conspired to bring about the type of story that goes in that file. It was getting cobwebby. That we have. That's good. Which is always exciting. And uh, (laughs) it all starts with everyone's favorite lawn penis erector, Chaz Stevens, and his church of satanic activism. Love that guy. Listeners might remember Mr. Stevens for his campaign to put up Festivus polls next to public nativity scenes Mm -hmm. or for a secular invocation that involved a mariachi band and twerking We all remember that or most recently for installing an upside down crucified butt-plugged ass Jesus (laughs) at two different government buildings We'll never forget that one Well, he's already working hard on his next project In celebration of the penis themed Shinto holiday called Kanamara Matsuri He's planning to build a dick statue ...for the Florida Capitol building with Donald Trump's face on it. Oh, please tell me it'll double as a drinking fountain. I am
2: willing to donate a large portion of this month's Patreon to make that upgrade. You know, we'll we'll move the plumbing,
1: whatever we got to do. So, yeah, I love a good Donald Trump penis monument as much as the next guy. But I think my favorite part of this story is the Japanese penis holiday that finally got the international attention it really deserves. Right. About... Time. It's crazy that we don't have this everywhere. So I looked into this a little bit and here's how the holiday works. Again, it's called Kanamara Matsuri, which basically means Festival of the Big Metal Dick. So <laughs> Already fantastic. They have that. No- nothing could that.
2: be more Japanese than celebrating giant robot dicks. Like if I, like if I was making fun of Japanese culture and god awful movies and I had to come up with a holiday on the spot, this is the holiday I would have come up with. I would have said exactly that. I would have said, yeah, well, all the Japanese guys were off celebrating the f- festival of the big metal dick or whatever. Holy shit. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: And, uh, it gets even better. No way. Um, the holiday is based on a legend about a vagina dentata situation. Oh, oh, nice. Which is a lot like it sounds. (laughs) It's that old folklore trope involving a woman who has a vagina with very sharp teeth. Huh. Apparently, this type of story spans multiple cultures. Pussy trolls, yeah. Pussy trolls. Anyway, in this case, the story's about a vagina demon that possesses a Japanese lady, and she has two husbands in a row have their dicks bitten off on their wedding night by the the demon. So, Uh after the second guy, she was Kind of a bitch about it. After the second guy, <laughs> she goes to a blacksmith who makes her a big stainless steel dildo, which breaks all the vagina demon's teeth and it flies away and saves the day. Awesome. Well, I, now, and you've got to consider <laughs> what,
2: this means that some woman in, in like ancient Japan or whatever came up with an excuse for asking a blacksmith to make her a metal dildo that he bought and she was <laughs> penicidal. So I love this lady so much. Kudos.
1: Yeah. And uh, by the way, how do you celebrate a legend about a big metal strap-on that vanquished a vagina-dwelling magical starlack? I'm amazed you have to ask. With a big family festival where everything's a dick. <laughs> yes. And I'm very serious. Google Please. It. Look please. at the pictures. It's kids everywhere, and it's all dicks. Also <laughs> everywhere. They have candy dicks, big posters of dicks, vegetables carved into dicks, and of course... A big pink dick as the main float for a dick parade. It's, it, it, it's, think, think Marco Rubio's bedroom, but a whole town <laughs> with a parade. Yeah. So the, uh, getting back to, uh, Chaz Stevens, the paperwork he filed is currently being reviewed by Florida officials, but I'd be very surprised if he manages to actually get this one approved. It's I like mean, Trump's wall. Yeah. Uh, like an outdoor ass Jesus. That's one thing, but, but <laughs> this would be a full on dick. Inside the building. Right, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Nonetheless, it's a great idea either way, you know, just to be producing Donald Trump cock art. And I'm thinking we could come up with a a fun catchphrase for the display. I think we could help. I think Um, we can. We'll need 30 seconds on the clock. There it is. Slogans for the placard on the Donald Trump dick statue. Go. All right. How about... uh, What? When I ask people to salute with their hands, they compare me to Hitler. So so I got left. (laughs) What about... Happily paid for by the government of Mexico. (laughs) Donald Trump, a big enough dick to fuck 200 Polish immigrants at the same time. (laughs) That's true. What about uh, Donald Trump? If you're here for Trump University, go ahead and have a seat. (laughs) You're right. Here's the business tip, just for a second, (laughs) just to see how it deals.
2: How about if you count my inches like I count my fortune, this statue is life
1: sized? (laughs) 4 billion my ass, Trump dude. inches. <laughs> uh, um, what about, as you can see, I like dicks who don't lose their foreskin. Oh, wow. But I'm still pro-Israel. I'm pro-Israel. <laughs> pro- still running add the, uh, the election add them, thingy. Yeah.
2: Um, uh, well, we've been focused entirely on the head and the shaft at this point, so I feel like we should work the sack a little. How about... Good. It's a good call. Good I advice. like my balls like I like my walls.
1: <laughs> Worked on by Mexicans. <laughs> <laughs> what about... Um, Every time a Mexican president talks to me, it gets 10 feet tall. <laughs> Trump feet, of course. Trump feet. He's not just a ball man. That's well, <laughs> the shaft, too. Oh, well,
2: assuming that it has a giant llama hair pubic tube to wipe your feet on as you come up to it, and why wouldn't it? Obviously, the placard kind of <laughs> has to read, Merkin America Great Again. <laughs> Damn, does he just set me up for that one, doesn't he?
1: <laughs> With his stem cell fucking cubes, weird. All right, um about, uh, speaking of uh, Bush, um, now that I got rid of Bush, my poll numbers look even bigger. No, guns. that's three levels of brilliance
2: right there. That's good <laughs> shit. And now that we've made it clear where Rubio's handlers can go if they want high class Donald Trump dick jokes for the next debate, I suppose our work here is done. Heath, thanks as always. Canasta! And when we come back, we'll dig in a miracle foam once more. I was just thinking, man, I, I would love to play <laughs> Canasta in the longest time. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Run, grab the youngins, folks. It's time for Lucinda illusions, Qurans, Stories for Kids.
0: Gather around, boys and girls. Today, we're going to open up our Qurans to the second surah and learn all about Adam. Now, you may remember Adam and Eve from the Bible. The Bible is complete bullshit now because we're reading the Quran. And even though the Quran assumes that the Bible is true to lend itself legitimacy, that doesn't stop it from contradicting the Bible whenever it cares to. So forget about the Bible story that you know and get ready for something completely different. So once upon a time, God was wandering around heaven, but it was Muslim God, so he was named Allah. And heaven was named Jannah. So Allah was walking around Jannah one day feeling really bored. After all, hanging out with a bunch of dickless angels was fun for a while, but angels lived forever. And if Muslim God was ever going to have any real fun, he was going to have to make things that he could kill. So he decided to make man. Of course, the angels didn't like the idea of man. They preferred a heaven where everyone lived forever. There was no strife, no disease, no starvation, no misery, no war, and no death. Those silly angels. So they came to Muslim God and said, Hey Allah, maybe you should think about not making human beings. Did you ever think of that? And Allah said, Fuck off, angels. I make whatever the hell I want. Needless to say, the angels were very disappointed, and the more Allah thought about it, the more of a pain in the ass this whole human project was going to be if the angels all hated them. After all, it's not like he was going to talk to these grubby bastards himself. I mean, what if they got all rapey on him? So he would definitely need to send angels when he had stuff to tell him. So if he wanted this humanity thing to work, he'd need their support. So Allah devised a cunning plan. First, he made a bunch of animals. Then he made Adam. But before the angels could see Adam, Allah took him to the side and taught him the names of all the animals. Then he took Adam to meet the angels. The angels, as you would expect, weren't very impressed. It's so scrawny, one of them yelled. Oh, gross, yelled another. What the fuck is going on between his legs? Another cried out. And to that last one, God cringed a bit he definitely messed up on the dick a little, and he was hoping that nobody would notice. He'd probably have to make them chop off a part of it or something, but he didn't really have time to worry about that. The first order of business was proving to these angels that making man was a good idea. Oh, you don't like it? God asked. No, they all shuddered. It does tricks, God promised. At this, they all grew curious. Uh, what kind of tricks? One of the angels asked timidly. Here, take a look, God said, pointing down to the earth. An antelope was grazing on the field below them. Do you know what that thing is called? He asked the angels. Uh, um, g-hobble-snarf. I- is it g-hobble-snarf? One angel answered. God just shook his head. What about the one over here? He asked, pointing to a hawk that was nesting in a nearby tree. "'Is it a furble-hurzel?' "'I I, I feel like it's a furble-hurzel,' the angel guessed. But again, God shook his head. And once God was sure that none of the angels had any more guesses, he turned to Adam and pointed to the earth. "Uh, "'Hey, Adam, do you know what that thing is called?' "'That's an antelope,' Adam answered confidently. "'That's correct,' God said. "'And the angels all gasped with amazement. "'And that one over there?' "'That's a hulk,' he beamed pridefully.' Correct again, God said to more flabbergasted sounds of angelic amazement. Now that the angels were thoroughly amazed, God told them all to bow down to Adam. But one angel refused. It was Satan. He was always such a pain in the ass. God turned to him angrily. Satan, why aren't you bowing down to Adam? Satan rolled his eyes. Because I'm not an idiot. If none of us know what the animals are called, how can we know if your pet human is right or not? And besides, you're the one who decided what they were called. I don't know about you, but I like fervil a way more than hawk. I mean, hawk? It sounds like you're trying to get snot out of your throat. Muslim God was very angry, but he couldn't afford to lose his cool around all the angels, so he decided to up the ante. Adam, what does a cow say? He asked quickly. Moo, Adam answered. Again, all the angels gasped, but Satan was still unimpressed. He turned to his fellow angels. Guys, that doesn't mean anything. See, like, he could have just said any words there. We don't even know what they mean. Besides, for all we know, God told Adam all the answers beforehand. God did his best to look offended by the allegation. How dare you, he puffed but Satan ignored him and kept talking to the angels. And besides, who gives a shit of what the animals are called? If God didn't decide this one was called this and that one was called that, we could have come up with our own names, our own way cooler names. At that, there was a murmur from the audience. The angels were starting to see things Satan's way, and that simply wouldn't do. God acted quickly. He turned to the whole crowd and said very loudly, I just decided that we need somebody to man hell for all eternity. And I think Satan would be the perfect guy for the job. Anybody else want to talk shit about my humans? And none of them did. The end. Again
2: and again, the outspoken atheist is thrust into the role of impromptu mythbuster when we confront a theist armed with their favorite historical miracle claim. After all, they'll say, what's more likely, a loving God created the universe and watches over us every day of our lives, or five whole people in the pre-scientific days of rickets and ergot poisoning were mistaken? And as weak as these miracle claims generally are, they can still be a bitch to refute if you've never heard of them before, so it's time once again for the part of the show where we put the evidence for these miracles under the microscope— because it would be way too small to see with the naked eye.
0: The Devil's Advocate.
1: So tell us, Heath, what dubious claims do you have for us this week? Well, uh, I brought a couple of the church's best documented miracles for you this week. Oh, awesome. But uh, I'll give you your choice of where to start. Do you want the 1,300-year-old chunk of dead human or the flying retarded person? Oh, dude, I don't think that's very uh, PC. No. No, it wasn't. I, I, you
2: know, I mean, we just, miracle. well, no, no, I mean, we just, we'll get a bunch of emails.
1: Oh, OK. Yeah. Sorry. The uh, the levitating retarded person. Okay, OK. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Well, I guess we can start there then. All right. The guy with up syndrome it is. <laughs> so this is the story of Joseph of Cupertino, a simple minded 17th century Franciscan friar in Italy. And according to the wording in multiple sources, he was prone to miraculous levitation prone to it prone to it like a like a habit <laughs> well i read it more like a like an infection it would flare up now and he, like oh, every okay. time levitation goes around <laughs> joey would get it he was yeah. prone to i got gotcha, you yep. i got gotcha. you so and you say this is uh documented as in there are documents that say it's true yes okay i don't know if that's the same thing exactly <laughs> well to be fair joseph of cupertino died in 1663 and the camera wasn't invented until 1814. Oh, oh, all right. Well, what kind of documents do we have? Uh Records from the Spanish Inquisition, mostly. Really? I was not expecting that. <laughs> Nobody ever is. But look, when a monk that has seizures starts, like, supermanning around town during mass in 17th century Italy, somebody's bound to call Satan on him. So,
2: Okay, but I mean, but he wasn't... um He
1: wasn't actually flying, I'm guessing. Well, as it turns out, the Inquisition wasn't really known for sound jurisprudence. Oh, I see. So all we know is that they were convinced that he flew, which probably means he was accused of it by somebody. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so what did they do? They imprisoned him and fed him starvation rations for about 18 years. Oh, well, that was was nice of them. Yeah, uh, even nicer. A hundred years later, the Catholic Church beatified him. And then 10 years after that, he was declared a saint. In fact, he's currently the patron saint of air travelers, aviators, astronauts, mentally disabled people, people taking tests, and underperforming students. I am, patron saint of all those things. I'm very uncomfortable with airline pilots
2: and underperforming students sharing the same patron saint.
1: I think they'd have enough to... <laughs> glad, glad to see you got over the part of the story where they tortured a flying retarded person for two decades. So Dude, I told you it's very un PC. Oh, sorry. Ups and downs. <laughs> okay,
2: so now uh, the evidence that this guy levitated is is just the fact that the Catholics imprisoned him for it.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it.
2: That's it. Okay. So 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 this is a real miracle just like all those screaming medieval bonfires were real witches
1: then. Uh yep, pretty much. So well, why even bring this one up? All right. Well, uh, three reasons actually. First of all, it was the third miracle that was listed on two separate best documented miracle lists that I found online. Really? <laughs> really. Wow. Yeah. The uh, second is that I wanted to mention that people with Down syndrome should all get flying. That, that would, should be way more. That would only be reasonable. fair. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, the third reason I chose this one is for the meta layer of bullshit it provides for us. I mean, imagine if there was irrefutable evidence that Joseph of Cupertino – actually did levitate it's hard to imagine what that evidence would look like but okay sure right I'll right imagine but, but imagine it was something he could do at will and they took him on the road and he he did levitation shows for millions of people and even today's magicians were completely unable to explain how he, how he did the trick without actually levitating and imagine mm. that it happened after cameras and even video cameras were invented so there's plenty of tangible video evidence well, lots of levitating it seems like we're being a lot more generous than necessary but okay but but even if we grant all of that, it doesn't prove anything except that there was a, a retarded monk that could fly. Dude. Uh, levitate, sorry. I, I mean, think about it. Even at the time, nobody was saying, oh, this monk is hopping around like Iron Man. Must be that Christian God decided to miracle with him. Right. So, so even if you trusted the contemporary theology, this would mean that Joseph's levitation was evidence that the, the witches were right. So not only do you have to retroactively apply facts, you have to retroactively apply motivations, too. Oh, okay.
2: Well, 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 that brings up an interesting question, though, then. If they thought that he was possessed of the devil,
1: why did they eventually make him into a saint? Uh, I can't say for sure, but the way I see it, they only had three choices. Option A was to say that the guy never floated, which would mean they tortured a mentally disabled person for decades for no reason. Mm, Option B was to say that he did float, and it was because he was a witch. And not only does that require doubling down on the horrible shit they did to an innocent simpleton, it also makes being a witch sound really cool. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, option C, of course, was to say that he did fly and that they were keeping him in a small room because... Didn't have helmets back then. You couldn't trust a guy like him to not fly head first into a wall or something was, <laughs> for safety. Uh, okay. So,
2: so now they were actually in a position where like the sensible thing to do from a PR perspective was admit they starved and imprisoned a disabled guy. Uh, it's
1: a remarkably familiar spot for the Catholic Church to find itself, actually.
2: Yeah. I guess, I guess it is. Okay. So didn't you also promise us some centuries rotting human flesh? I did. All right. Okay. So does that does that float too, or what?
1: <laughs> no, it, uh, it just sits there and rots. It's
2: all right. So what just, what? just like it sounds, makes it miraculous. Uh, the fact that it used to be a cracker. Oh, I, I think I see where we're going here. But but why don't
1: you get us there anyway, if you don't mind? <laughs> all right. But uh, for this one, we're gonna have to reach all the way back to the eighth century for the miracle of Lenciano. According to the legend. A monk who doubted the true bodily presence of Jesus in the Eucharist was assigned to a church in Lanciano, Italy. During Mass, just as he uttered the words of consecration, uh, this is my body, this is my blood, the cracker suddenly changed into living flesh, and the wine turned into five uh, globules of blood. Ew. He was about to eat that. That's so fucking gross. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) kind of like uh, the Kiefer Sutherland thing with the Chinese food in Lost Boys. Right. Except it's, it's God instead of vampire with the mullet
2: right right yeah so now should i assume that this miracle is documented in the
1: same fashion as the last one Uh, well well, sort of um but in this instance we have direct physical evidence actually Uh, well what kind of evidence we have the actual flesh and blood they preserved it okay but
2: but i mean but like if 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 i say that aliens landed on my front yard and gave me a pack of big league chew i'm not going to prove much by showing you the Big League Jew, I mean... <laughs> okay, I
1: didn't say good evidence, I said evidence. Okay, gotcha, so... Love Big League Jew. What do we know about the flesh and blood here, then? Uh, a number of investigations have been done on these uh, holy relics, and uh, the last of which was conducted in 1971. According to those findings, the flesh is probably a piece of human heart, approximately the same size and shape as a Eucharist. Oh, wow, they, so they cut a Eucharist out of a dead guy's heart? Ah <laughs> that that's so funny. Till you said that it didn't occur to me that you could you just using already dead guy. I don't know, it's so much easier. What do well, you mean would have been. Look, Lanciano Italy has been milking this uh cracker-sized chunk of heart for tourist dollars for like 1300 years. I mean, forgive me for wanting to get in on this action. Oh,
2: this, shit. Wow. Okay. I, I, pretend I never asked.
1: Will do. All right. Would you like to uh, wrap up the segment
2: there quick before you say anything else incriminating? (laughs) I plead the fifth. Good call. So we'll close it there. And assuming Heath remembered to weigh down the bag this time, we'll join you for more Miracle Talk on the next edition of
0: The Devil's Advocate.
2: Before we relinquish your ear holes tonight, I wanted to let you know that the long-awaited episode of Incredulous that Heath and I recorded the month before last with Andy is finally available for your oral pleasure. You'll find a link on the show notes. And while you're there, you can also check out the link to an episode of Naked Mormonism that I guested on while I was on vacation. First time I'd ever recorded a guest appearance in person. Very cool. It was a really fun discussion about the life and times of Dr. Philastus Hurlbutt. And by the way, Doctor is not an honorific there. That's the dude's first name. So Philastus was the third weirdest name yet. Anyway, there's also some really interesting stuff in there about who maybe really wrote the Book of Mormon and, of course, an endless stream of hurlbutt jokes. Anyway, that's all the blasphemy we've got for you tonight, but we'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a new episode of our sister show, The Skeptocrat, debuting Monday at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, and an even newer episode of our other sister show, God-awful Movies, debuting 24 hours after that. Obviously, the show isn't a show until I thank Heath for managing to physically contain himself upon learning that We had a Donald Trump dick statue story this week, among other things. I also need to thank the lovely and talented Lucinda Lusions both for her contributions to making the show great and her contributions to making the last 20 years of my life great. I also want to thank DP from the Golden Age Grappling Podcast for providing this week's nostalgia-inducing Farnsworth quote. If you're a fan of the wrestling and you want to give his show a listen, we'll have that linked on the show notes, too. But most of all, of course, I need to thank this week's and last week's best people. Benjamin, Pete, Gary, Michael, Ernest, Aborg9, Hersey, Hertz, Aurelius, Mad, Cyclist, JC, 13, Tiffany, Julie, Sarah. Sarah, Melissa, Cindy, Jessica, Dana, Anne, Alex, Teresa, Cameron, Warwick, Carter, Paul, L. Paul, Curtis, and Travis. Benjamin, Pete, Gary, Michael, and Ernest of Borgnine, whose erections would be called into duty as temporary wall supports if Trump wins the election, assuming he needed it 10 feet higher. Hertzie Hertz, Aurelius, Mad Cyclist, J613, and Tiffany, whose IQs have caused cutting-edge computer science to rebrand their efforts as artificial stupidity in comparison. Julie, Sarah, Melissa, Cindy, Jessica, and Dana, whose vaginal floor muscles would have been happy to smash together some protons of CERNA just after. And Alex, Teresa, Cameron, and Warwick, whose IQs are so high, even Colorado has a law against it. And Carter, Paul, L., Paul, Curtis, and Travis, whose erections are so hard, that Japanese lady with a demon badge wouldn't have needed a blacksmith. Together, these 26 salaciously sexy, strikingly stylish, surpassingly savvy, sincerely sympathetic, superlatively skillful, severely sacrilegious skeptics have subsidized our scurrility this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the unique blend of sibilant qualities it takes to give us money, but if you think you're up to the challenge, you can make a per-episode donation on patreon.com Slash scathing Atheist, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended edition of every episode, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at ScathingAtheist.com. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at ScathingAtheist.com. All the music used in this episode was written and performed by yours truly, and yes, I did have my permission. it's not that we it's not that we didn't fuck anything up in this episode. It's just that we didn't fuck anything up in a humorous way. So no outtake sorry